Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. But I'm not going to get off on that because now you all have me emotional. You got the good looking black guy crying. <laughs> I tell everybody, my family gives away body parts. I grew up in South Carolina in the 60s and we knew white people, black people, Jewish people, but all we knew is what others told us. You didn't really know that person. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for uh, today uh, and our guest, Marilyn Chandler. Uh, Lord, we just thank you that you brought her and Robert into our lives. But they're just sweet, sweet people. And uh, it's your blessing on them and our relationship and our friendship that goes deep, deep, deep. Lord, uh, we also lift up Odell, who's not feeling well, and uh, uh, heal him. Uh, give us safe travels. I'll be traveling next week to Denver. Keep me safe as I travel. And Lord, uh, uh, we bless our families. Watch over them. Keep them safe. Amen. Father God, we just thank you for opportunity to see your grace and your mercy. Just experience it from different lenses. God, thank you for all the opportunities that I have had to travel to Israel, to travel to other countries, and to look at some of the most holy sites with others, God, and understand my perspective, but also be open-minded enough to understand their perspective, and then gives us a better picture, a better glimpse of who you are and what you are. So we thank you for opportunity. We thank you for open-mindedness. We thank you for diversity, inclusion, and understanding that we all are your people. So we thank you and we praise you. Amen. 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 And dear friends, to Bill and to Odell, I impart this prayer to you. It's the priestly blessing, which we bless our children with every Friday night, every Shabbat. May God bless you and guard you. May God show you favor and be gracious to you. May God show you kindness and grant you peace. Amen. 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 Odell, how you feeling, buddy? Feeling like a new man. I feel like a new puppy, Bill. <laughs> I listened to the wife and now I feel like a new puppy and I'm out of the doghouse. So a new puppy out of the doghouse. And you know, a new puppy is always cute. 
So the good looking black man is now the cute, good looking black man, a new puppy. So who knows? My well, wife you know, might give me a kiss on the nose. Who knows? You know something? I, as you say, a new puppy. Are your house broken yet? I don't know about all that, Bill. It's just according <laughs> to what day you catch me on now. It's just according to what day you catch me on. I'm house trained because okay. 36 years of marriage, Beth has trained me well. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, Dory has always said to me, she said, you know, if something ever happened to you, I, I, I won't remarry. I said, because you'll miss me. She says, no, I don't want to train another one. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's love. I got to tell you. <laughs> That's agape love. You're yeah, you right. got it. You got it. So, Bill, you know, I was thinking about something. Um, you know, we travel. We went to Israel. I've been to Israel four times now, once as a guest with some clergy, all clergy trips. Uh, all clergy trips are different. And then I went on interfaith trips. Now, interfaith trips is it, Bill. You went once on an interfaith trip. That's totally different. Clergy trips is like the Boy Scouts hiking and living off the land. The interface trips is like, ah, boy, you know, we're staying at the nice places and all this kind of good stuff. And the good thing about the interface trips is that we got an opportunity to talk to people who didn't believe what we believed, didn't believe how I believed, didn't look like me, didn't sound like me. And the whole thing of having an opportunity to experience someone else's perspective I call that growth. And that just helped change me so much. And, and really, it just changed me as a person. And over the years, I'm a better person because I grew up in South Carolina in the 60s. And we knew white people, black people, Jewish people. But all we knew is what others told us. You didn't really know that person. All you knew is them as the others. And so I know when you grew up in Perma, y'all don't have any black people. Did y'all have any Jewish people at all there? No. Who did y'all have, Bill, other than Goebbels? The whole town were Goebbels? Well, we had a lot of Goebbels. There's no doubt about it. I had, I'm the oldest of eight, and I had 66 first cousins within walking distance. So uh, we, could, we could put a big group together. That's, you know, that's good news. The bad news is if you ever did anything wrong, your parents knew it before you got home because they had a lot of tattletales. And as us boys played as boys do we're, we're always getting into some kind of trouble and uh but it was a great place to grow up uh you know it, but it was a cocoon it, it, i didn't get to see the outside world to speak of uh and so i lived in my little cocoon and grew up and as i got older the thing that changed all of that was travel going to different places even going from cleveland to chicago i learned something cleveland to new york and then when i got a chance to go outside the united states uh, I've been to 42 countries and, uh, once you start traveling overseas and you see how other people live, their culture, their lifestyle, their food, their dialect and their personalities, you get a whole different context for your life and how, how you look at the world through a set, another set of lenses. And you're not looking through the lenses of just Parma and, uh, on state road. You know, my, my mom, give you an example. My mom married on state road. She moved her first house was 500 feet from where she was married. Then she moved a half a mile further on the same street. And then she came back down to the regular house that she started. She did that from 1949 till, till she died. So like 60 years, she never drove. She lived in that little cocoon. And uh, she did never traveled overseas. Uh, she came to North Carolina one time by bus. 
And uh, there's a whole story behind that. Uh, she never took the bus again after that. <laughs> she took, she wanted the fly. And uh, I, I kept asking his mom, don't take the bus. Well, your uncle owns the bus company and he's given me a free ticket. So I want to do it and come with one of our nieces from New Zealand. And you know what his ticket was? He took his business card out. My uncle Bob wasn't, he was a policeman that ran a big bus company, but his view and lenses were different. He took his business card out and he wrote on the back, this is Teresa Goble, my sister-in-law, let her travel any place she needs. Signed, Robert Goble. He says, this will work. So my mom got that and she went, she thought about it. And she says, you know, I don't know if this is, this is right. So she went to his son, Tommy Goble, who ran the bus company. They had about 600 uh, trailway buses, big buses, largest trailways franchise in the country. And she says, Tommy, you know, your dad gave me this ticket. He says, let me see that. She says, and I'm not so sure it will work. He goes, this will not work. I got to get you a real ticket. And, uh, but that's the way he thought. Well, you know, it's interesting, Bill. A lot of times you think about what the way we thought. Nothing's wrong with State Road. State Road is fine, but nothing's right with State Road either. A lot of times we learn so many lessons on grandma's porch. And some lessons we learn by eavesdrop, eavesdropping or overhearing them. And they weren't something for a child to understand. But then we always had that family member who come and tell you, Odell, don't trust any white people. Or Odell, don't do this or don't do that. Those are the type of things that we learn from people who we respect and we love. But the key is, what do we do when we get evidence that my uncle was wrong? All white people, not this. All Jewish people, not this. All black people, not this. How do we unlearn those things? And when we unlearn them, Bill, what do we do with them? Because if you remove something, what do we do with it? You know, because that was the hard part for me for a while. What do we do with our bias, prejudice, and stereotypes, especially when they, we know that it's not valid? Do we hold on to them because we want to? Because when we know better, we do better. But a lot of times our clans or our peers, or our families, it's hard to not say to them, don't make that joke about this type of person or that type of person, because now all of a sudden they look at you and now you're the other. You know, and I'm just talking about my family. I don't know about yours, but if you, you know, nobody want to become the other. Yeah. You know, it, I grew up I, I, and I still to this day, I don't like offending people. I don't like, I'm not the type to get in your face and try and talk you down and try and argue what, my point to the point that I win. Um, I will hear the other person's side. And if I disagree with it and I think I can add some value to changing their mind, in a positive way, I'll share that. If they don't accept it, I will not beat them over the head with it. I'll try and plant the seed and come back to it at a later time and see if that seed took, took, took root. And if it took root, then we can, we can water it, we can sun it, and we can grow it. But if it isn't, if it's, if it's barren ground, dust off your sandals and move on to somebody else. You know, it's interesting. I never heard the term, we could sun it. But you know what? That's not a South Carolina Geechee term. No, sunning it is not it. It's but not you know, it. No, oh. nah, that's not it. But we're blessed. <laughs> we have a guest today, Bill, who's helped me over the years. Uh, just, just be a better person. Uh, I have my views. And again, I want to have an open mind, but I never want my mind to be so open that my brains fall out. And this person is, has come to me and say, oh, now let's just have coffee because in some of the interfaith travels and some of the communication, it gets kind of thick. And it's get, you know, when you're being honest, things come out. 
And sometimes everybody's not prepared for honesty, but the guest today has helped me with some of the things. So Bill, do you mind introducing our guest, please? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, Marilyn Chandler is the director of the Greensboro Jewish Federation. And she's been there a number of years. I'm going to let her talk about that, but I'm just going to give you my perspective. Uh, I met her on the interfaith trip for the first time and I met her husband, Robert. And we, our family has fallen in love with both of them. They are just very special people in this community. And every time I see Marilyn or Robert, uh, my spirit jumps just because, oh man, there's Marilyn, there's Robert. And, you know, I, folks uh, that are listening, if you ever have people that you meet like that, hang on to them because they're special. So Marilyn, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you so much, Bill and Odell. I am delighted to be with you. This is great. Well, give us a little story of your background, how you got to Greensboro and how you got this job and all that. All right. Um, so we've been in Greensboro for 33, almost 34 years now. And I was uh, I was at a conference in New York City, actually right below the World Trade Center then. And I happened to meet a man by the name of Mike, Mike Berkelhammer, who lives here in Greensboro, who said, would you be interested in applying for a job with the Greensboro Jewish Federation? And you know what I asked him? Where's Greensboro? Where, where's Greensboro? <laughs> Libby had the same thing. <laughs> and you know what? He took out a napkin. I think I kept it for years. And he drew me a picture of the state of North Carolina. And he put a little X and he said, this is where Greensboro is. It's only two hours from the mountains and it's three hours from the beach. You're going to love it. I said, well, I live in the mountains and I grew up at the beach in New York. Um, however, I'm, I'm going to take your word for it. So the bottom line is, is he got me on an airplane. We came, I came down. I fell in love with the people and then went back home and Robert was supposed to come with me for a visit to Greensboro. Long story short, um, he never made it on that trip because my father of blessed memory got sick mm. and it was a month from beginning to end that my dad passed away. This was in 1987. It was just a few months after our first daughter, Dory, was born. So I called Greensboro up and I said, I'm so sorry to the search committee. I said, I'm so sorry, but we're not going to be able to come. Uh, and do you know what they did? After my father died in December of that year, the search committee in Greensboro made donations in my father's name. They called to offer condolences. I'm getting choked wow. up just telling wow. you this story. Wow. <clears throat> and um, and I and I had written them a letter saying, I'm so sorry, but I have to pull out, you know, for obvious reasons. My father just died, our daughter was just born. It wasn't a good time to leave New York. And um and the search committee members, Jen Bleatenthal and Mike Berkelhammer and Joel Liebling, Bernie Gutterman. Anyway, they um, they called me a month after my father died and they said, please, won't you reconsider? So we came down here in a snowstorm, like <laughs> a real snowstorm in North Carolina. And not only did they find someone, the only person in town who had a four-wheel drive vehicle to go to the airport, which at that point was only one lane in and one lane out, uh, to come pick us up. But because I was saying um, 
the Kaddish, the mourners' prayer mm-hmm. for my dad, they arranged for there to be a minion of 10 people, a group of 10 people that would say prayers with me in the snow who walked to the synagogue so that I would have a prayer minion. Wow. That's that's really how I got here because there was no way I could say no to that. No. What a great story. What a great story. Wow. I had no idea. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and I understand you've got a few other stories to share. you got three exactly to share. And why don't you go ahead and start with the first one and uh, Odell and I will jump in at the appropriate time. Okay, absolutely. Well, this one I wanted to call I Know Ivan, and it has to do with Odell Cleveland, um, because it was in one of our earlier missions to Israel on the Interfaith Study Mission sponsored by the Jewish Federation, the Community Foundation, and NCCJ, um, where Odell and I really got to know one another. And he, um, he told me about Um, having a visit, and Odell, maybe you'll remember the story, that there was an individual who came to you at the church, and uh, they they were partners. Uh, He was a partner of a trans white woman, and he himself was Black, and uh, and at some point, the church wasn't open to helping him, and you met a man named Ivan on the trip who really, um, I guess, opened the door for you for understanding that every person is unique and special and different, whether they're gay or not gay, whether they're white, whether they're black. And um, and I call that my I know Ivan story because I think that that you became someone who really respected others because of a relationship that you created and a bond that you created on that mission to Israel. And there's a, a Hebrew expression for that. It's called B'Tselem Elohim, that each of us is created in God's image and is special. You know, I forgot. I knew the I Know Ivan story when we were uh, debriefing, but I forgot about that part. And you just brought it up. You're absolutely correct, because I don't know why the gentleman came in, needed some help. And he talked to some people and some people like, well, da, da, da. So they, you know. When people don't want to make decisions, they usually kick it up to the next person in charge. So they kicked it up to my level as, you know, in the C-suites per se. And I remember making the call to help that individual. And it's because of my experience in meeting Ivan and on the interfaith trips and everything else, because we say quite often it's hard to hate up close. You know, you can hate this person when it's just an object, but when you really know a person or I, you know, I tease with being the good looking black guy. Of course, I am the good looking black guy, but yeah, I like I'm, to tease I'm the, good, I'm the good looking black guy. Hey. Okay. All right. All right. Well, what's Marilyn, happening, you know what? what's you happening here? What's guy, going on? Go when did I lose yeah. control? <laughs> <laughs> it's a love you know, like affair. They, like my wife says, you never had control of them, <laughs> you know, that perspective. But, but Ivan just touched my life because he's real. And he would sit down and look you in the eye and have an honest conversation with you. And that helped me so much because, again, how can you hate someone when you love them? You know, how can I hate someone when I love the person? So that helped me so much, Marilyn, and just the whole process, because it wasn't anything I had planned. But now all of a sudden, if someone says, well, I hate all Black people, what do you think, Bill? Then Bill may say, 
and I think he will. Well, wait a minute. You know, I understand you have certain issues with black people, but it's not all. It's never all of anything, you know. And mm -hmm. so I just want to say thank you, Marilyn, for helping me. But more importantly, in his absence, I want to thank Ivan for being the type of leader that he is. And, you know, he's just he's just a special soul. He's just a special soul. Yes, the Greensboro is. is a better place because of him. Indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Bill, that that was story number one. And before you get into story two, I, I want you to explain to our listeners what the Jewish Federation is and what it does. Uh, thanks for asking that. So if you think of a United Way, Community Foundation, Family Service Agency, Magazine Publisher, Community Center, all wrapped up into one for the Jewish community and beyond, that's basically what a Jewish Federation is. We raise funds and convene the local Jewish community to assist not only the Jewish community, but the greater community. We have a food pantry here that helps to bring food to various churches and food pantries around the community, as well as individuals that come and receive food here. And we uh, work with and provide for sustenance in Jewish communities in 70 countries around the globe with partners, um, national partners, international partners, including Israel and, and beyond. So the Jewish Federation is a national organization that has local chapters? Um, each one of the local Jewish federations is an entity of, of itself, you know, okay. in and of itself. Um, it, uh, we have our own board of trustees and staff members. And here in, in our agency, in our building, we, are, we have the Jewish Federation, a Jewish Family Service Agency, and a Jewish Community Foundation. And the Federation does a lot of the programming and raises annual campaign dollars. Jewish Family Services assists individuals and families in the community, has support groups and counseling. Um, and a van for elder care, you know, to get people from place to place, disabled individuals and older, older veterans. And, um, and we also have a foundation that helps to perpetuate um, giving throughout, you know, an individual's lifetime and beyond. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. For sure. Um, oh. The other, the other piece just to state is that we're also working with some area local communities on legacy planning communities where you know the Jewish community has dwindled in size and so we're helping to support cemeteries when there's no local community to support the cemetery or other legacy plans that those communities um, you know desire. You are a busy person. We are. Definitely. We are. Definitely. I have a great staff and great volunteers. That's great. You know Marilyn, help me with one. Um, we had a great leader here. Um, everyone knows about Rabbi Fred Gutman because when Rabbi Gutman comes in, he takes all the air out of the room. Good friend of mine. I love and respect him. But there's another quiet leader, Rabbi Avivi. Can you tell, can you tell the listening audience about him? He did, a, he did a great job. And I learned so much from him when we were traveling to Israel and everything else because I didn't know him. I didn't know him. Of course, you know Fred. So I remember going uh, to Israel with him and I'm like, this guy's so quiet. And a lot of times when people have a quiet personality and we don't know them, Bill, we're like, well, they must not like us. And I don't know why. Why do we go to that place, Bill? Well, Marilyn well, O'Dell? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why do we go to the place they don't <laughs> like us? Because, because they have a, they're more of an introvert except versus an extrovert. 
Yeah. So tell us about our quiet leader and hero, Marilyn. Mm, well, your your quiet leader, uh, actually, he wasn't always so quiet on uh, Sabbath services on Saturday mornings. <laughs> he gave the sermon, you know. Um, he's actually a really dear friend of mine, and he is leaving for Israel uh, in a week. Um, he's going to visit some family and friends over there. Um, so Rabbi Habibi, he was actually one of the early participants on one of our first missions to Israel in 1994, Interfaith Study Missions to Israel. And he's, he, I remember he asked me this question that has always stayed with me, which is, why should I go on this trip? You know, I bring Jewish community members, and why should I go on the Interfaith Study Mission to Israel? And I said, it's going to help you stretch and grow. And, you know, he, he didn't know exactly what I meant by that, but maybe he kind of trusted me a little bit. And, uh, and I said, and you know, it, it's not going to necessarily be comfortable for you the whole time, um, but that's okay. You know, let it bring you to the next place that you need to rise up to. And, and there had been an earlier rabbi um, at Beth David Synagogue uh, where he was the rabbi. Um, named Rabbi Steve Saltzman, who had taught me one phrase, one wonderful phrase, which was that he felt his role in town and in the rabbinate was to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I, <laughs> and I have often quoted that phrase, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, um, because uh, that that's really what I was saying to Rabbi Chavivi was, you know, just just be a little discomfortable, you know, just have a little discomfort. And I, I think you'll grow as a person and you'll grow in your rabbinate. You will grow in your ability to relate to other people in the community, not just your congregation. So Rabbi Chavivi, um, he has a woman friend now, you should know, and maybe that's not for public broadcast, but maybe it is. Um, she actually is a cantor. She's a chazan. So she has a magnificent voice. And um, he's up there in New Jersey with her. Um, but he always, uh, you know, and he had been a tour guide in Israel. He was actually trained as a tour guide Ooh. in Israel. Uh, and he, um, very, very knowledgeable and very spiritual and always, um, always made me realize, you know, where in Israel was I? Why was this space and place special? And that's why he was so important to have on the trip because he knew he had lived in Israel for eight years. And so he knew he helped to grow he, uh, the whole state, he and his wife. Then Judy um, lived on a kibbutz in Israel, like a collective settlement. Um, and they, they, knew, they knew what plowing the land meant in the Galilee, especially, which is where their kibbutz was. And he used to show it to us on interfaith missions to Israel. Wow. Great story. You know, we have another rabbi in town, Joshua Ben Gideon. He went on an interfaith trip with us and I hadn't met him ever before. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting how my relationship developed with him. And now, you know, we're good buds. Uh, I mean, I love the guy, I love Rebecca and their family. Um, but it's amazing how God put us together at the right time to have the doors open to see each other as we are. Because I, when I first met him, he, he was preaching, you know, he was talking about Israel. We we're doing a study and um, I viewed him as a stiff guy that, you know, there was, he was a stiff person. And when we went on the trip, you know, I, I never sat with him. I, I, my, my, 
my uh, bus buddy was Ron Milstein. So I got to know Ron, who I love also. And but then Joshua uh, became sick. He, he got sick there and I had some medicine. So I gave it to him. And so I was kind of asking him how he's doing. And and we would sit down and talk and found out he likes bourbon and he likes cigars. And we, we found a <laughs> neutral place to do that. And once we did that, we we bonded. And I said, you know, I just lost my hat. Uh, that I bought in Paris and I left it at the uh, Masada uh, by mistake. And he said, well, let's go get you a hat. And because he lived there, he knew some where hatteries were. So we went and we spent maybe an hour and a half, two hours, just kind of wandering around the area around the hotel. And we found myself a hat and uh, I'm going to wear it tonight when I go see him. But uh, it's amazing how now our, our relationship, you know, if I don't talk to him in a couple of days, I call him just see how he's doing. It's mm-hmm. one of those well, guys. Yeah. You know, Bill, I think what you said earlier about traveling with people, you know, Rabbi Chavivi always used to say to me, you know, we're traveling in a tin can of a bus for 10 days together. And boy, do you get to know people. <laughs> it's day. true. And you do. You yeah. definitely do. When you start taking Christians to Israel, we act like we invented the place. You know, that that it, it, let, let's not forget that our Jesus was Jewish. Let's not forget that um, half of what we took out of the Bible, we stole from you. So, so you know, let's not forget that. So we come to Israel, Bill, and we start telling the Jewish people about, you know, what they should and shouldn't believe because we're Christian. It's just the arrogance, Marilyn, the arrogance. How do you deal with our arrogance as Christians sometimes? I love it, Odell, because you have taught me so much, you and Bill and every other individual I have brought with me to Israel, with us to Israel, I have learned so much. Seeing the um, see, seeing the baptism at the Jordan River for me is a deeply religious spiritual experience. And, and I think it has to do with something you all shared, which is seeing Israel through your eyes makes me see it in a more focused and different way through my eyes. And I love seeing it and experiencing it through your eyes. I have, I have loved that. I have truly loved that. Um, and, and Bill, I, I'm going to share, I'm going to share this story because maybe it'll help to illustrate it. Okay. And this, this story I call, I know you, I know you. And it has to do, it has to do with your honey, Dory Goebel, who has the same first name as our eldest daughter, Dory. Oh, I didn't know that. She does indeed. And uh, when we were last in Israel in 2019, uh, we visited one of the most incredibly beautiful places that I had never been before called Magdala. And, you know, it's this magical, beautiful place in the Galilee. It's near Nazareth and there's archaeology and there's stones on the ground. And, and uh, this, we were met by a, a priest who was working there. Um, but we, um, and, and, and it sits on the Sea of Galilee and it's named for Mary Magdalene. That's the name Magdala. Yeah. And um, it's also the place where one of the oldest synagogues in the world resides that's been found there as well. So it's special to both Christianity and Judaism. And our bus pulled up to the place um, and there was a young woman there who was meeting us. There was, uh, she was originally from Greensboro and a friend of hers from Greensboro had 
told her to please look for the Greensboro bus and she happened to be volunteering in the visitor center. Her name was Ashley. And our bus started descending and she said, welcome, welcome, welcome. She was so excited. And I remember all of a sudden she turned to your Dory, looked up because you know, Dory is quite tall. Yes, I noticed. <laughs> and she said to Dory, I know you. And Dory looked at her quizzically and said, you know me? Where do you know me from? And Ashley said, I don't know, but I know you. And the two of them were like trying to figure out where their paths had crossed. And finally, Ashley said, I know you. You donated the kidney, didn't you? And Dory started crying. I'm and crying. Bill and Bill started crying and I started crying. Everyone around us started crying because Ashley had been thinking about donating a kidney for this person and for whatever reason felt a calling to go to Israel and to be in that place, in that space in Magdala. But Dory Goebel had donated the kidney and and, and Ashley recognized Dory by a Facebook post of all things. Wow. <laughs> she remembered her face on Facebook and had remembered that she had donated a kidney. And when she looked up and saw Dory Goble, I mean, it was like, wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's this Hebrew expression, gemilut chasadim, or chesed, it's acts of loving kindness. It's something that the recipient can never repay that Dory did. And I know Dory did it out of the kindness and loving acts of, it was a pure act of loving kindness out of the kindness of her heart and her soul. Yes. I remember that story. Makes me tear up again. I'll share with you something. Uh, our daughter, Elisa Kay is donating her kidney in February to another person. I want you to know, I just heard that just the other day. Someone said, Marilyn, you tell Bill Goebel. Wow. Well, wow. I tell everybody, my family gives away body parts. And, <laughs> and I, you know, I, my daughter, before she did it, she says, Dad, I just want you to know, you better not have a kidney disease because I can't give you one. Oh. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. So. We are. Uh, we we think it's in February. She knows who the recipient is. The recipient doesn't know who's who's given it to him. Oh my gosh! And, I just got chills. And uh, they will get to meet each other at the hospital after that's been transferred. Wow! Is this here in Greensboro, or is this uh -huh. somewhere? Yeah, we're gonna, oh. It's going to be over at Wake Forest where the, they do the transplant. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So we'll keep you posted on that, and we'll probably wow. have her. I'm going to have the two people with one kidney maybe on the podcast at some point. So, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Please let me know when that yeah. is. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And maybe, so it's like know, door to door from generation to generation. Yeah. You know, Odell, maybe we even have the recipients here zoom in so we can have all, you know, the donors and the recipients. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, you know, um, that's so powerful. Uh, I'm a, well, my driver's license, it says I'm a um, donor if something happens, but um, just recently, and I was sharing with Bill and Dory, but just recently, Marilyn, um, my sister, my sister has CD, CD, uh, boy, COPD. Yep. And she's been 
told by the doctor that, you know, this is not going to work out in the long term. So she just got approved, went to Duke for a couple of weeks, all these tests. And so she just got approved to be a uh, lung uh, recipient and going through all that. And this, the, the bad thing about that and the good thing about it is this, for my sister to be able, to, if my sister does not get a lung transplant, she's going to die. But for my sister to get a lung transplant, someone else had to die. So it's just so powerful when it hits on your doorstep. So I have nothing but love and respect for any and everyone. So life is just, we're all, like we say, Marilyn, it's all so close. You know, we don't have time to hate. We don't have time to do all this craziness because life is just so fragile. Democracy is so fragile. But I'm not going to get off on that because now you all have me emotional. You got the good looking black guy crying. <laughs> you got Marilyn crying. You got Bill crying. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, we are just people. Yeah. Well, there's a chair sitting next to you, Bill. So we have to tell this story, too. Yes. Are you ready for it? Yeah. All right. Take a deep breath. <laughs> you know why I'm misty on it? Because it's the power of God in how he intertwines all these relationships and friendships and circumstances that is so powerful. When you start and put it, the pieces together, you go, holy cow, this just wasn't luck. Well, there's another Hebrew word. It's called besheret. It means uh -huh. it was meant to be. And, you know, that has to do with fate, I guess. And I'm not sure I'm totally sold on the idea of fate or that, you know, the plan for me or for you all is, is written. But I think that um, to some degree, there's some higher being up there pulling us all together and, um, you know, making us whole again, because we've, we've been apart too long. Well, you've got to be a part of it, because if I had chosen uh, not to say anything on that bus about what we're going to talk about, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So you've got to step up when God opens a door. And, and that's, that's how we got on this podcast, quite frankly. Hmm. Well, I'm lucky to be here with you. So thank you. Welcome. So Odell, I'm not sure that you've heard this story, but well, maybe you did because maybe, maybe Bill and I shared it on the bus in Israel. Um, but I was, I was lucky to have Bill Goble sitting with me on the bus in Israel one day, you know, we tried to change bus partners. Sometimes right. I was sitting with Odell. Sometimes I was sitting with Bill, sitting with Odell when he let me sit with him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe when Deb wasn't around. Um, so, um, so at some point, you know, he was talking to Bill. So Bill, what have you done in your life? And he shared, I think that you had worked with, you were an intern for U.S. Representative Charles Vanek. Yeah, a congressional aide. Congressional aid, yeah. and that you had worked on something that I knew about called the Jackson Vanek Amendment. Correct. Which had to do with linking trade credits with the freedom for Jews from the former Soviet Union to emigrate freely. Mm -hmm. And I said, really? I said, did you by chance know? So here's my, you knew Mark. Or you know Mark at that point is what yeah, I said. Yeah. You know Mark, meaning Mark Talisman. And Bill said, yes, I, I worked with him, right? Yeah, he's my in boss. In Washington. And Mark was a colleague of mine 
Uh, he headed up the National Office of the Jewish Federations. Then it was called the Council of Jewish Federations. It's based in Washington. And we had worked together on resettling refugees from the former Soviet Union. Um, and in fact, Greensboro was the first smaller Jewish community to participate in a special project for smaller Jewish communities to resettle refugees, because at that point they had only been resettled in the larger cities. And uh, so we got to talking about Mark and, and Mark and Bill knew each other from that. And I think you also knew each other from scouting. Is, is that right? That's right. He's an Eagle Scout and he, he was a ranger at our largest uh, camp called Philmont out in New Mexico. Right, right. And Bill got very excited, so much so that when the bus made the next pit stop, he got in touch with Mark. He called Mark up. And he said, Mark, I have someone standing next to you, next to me that you have to say hello to. And it was me. So I got on the phone with Mark. I said, Mark, hi. <laughs> and we're chitter chattering and all. And it was like a match made in heaven. And it was a wonderful reunion. And then I gave the phone back to Bill and he and Mark, uh, I think, talked about um, Mark calling uh, Bill calling Mark, maybe when you got back from Israel, which you then did, you want to share your story? I don't want to steal your thunder. No, it's it, it's perfect what you just said. You know, the one thing that was interesting when I was talking to Mark, you couldn't hear this part. Mark goes, what are you doing in the promised land with Maryland? He says, how does this happen? <laughs> so I shared with him what we were doing. And, and he says, Bill, when you get back, you got to we got we to gotta get together. You need to come to D.C. and visit me. He was getting up in age, and travel was not something he could do. Uh, but uh, uh, before I tell you this story, but a little bit about Mark Talisman. Mark was a professor at the School of Government at Harvard. Uh, he was um, a gourmet cook. He was a scholar. He was a world-class gardener. Just about everything this man touched uh, including help in getting the Holocaust Museum started in D.C. Uh, and he, uh, so one night I was a congressional aide and he would have congressmen, senators, ambassadors, Supreme Court justice over his house because he was, it was such a uh, in, inspiring conversations that would happen in a, in, a, in a safe environment. But the food was spectacular. Mark, Mark would cook it. And uh, so people would line up, you know, when can I come and have dinner with you? So uh, somebody canceled. So he invited me <laughs> and I took it up and uh, I can't remember who the people were. I know one was an ambassador or a Senator and it might've been a Supreme court justice. And, you know, here I am a young kid and I'm listening to these conversations kind of pinching myself and his con his townhouse was right behind the Supreme court building. So he had a great location. And, uh, but Mark was, was just an unbelievably talented individual. And he was the chief of staff for Congressman Vanek. And uh, when they uh, passed the Jackson Vanek Amendment, uh, he, uh, I didn't know this story. Uh, somebody else told it to me, but uh, he had called almost every uh, House member and every senator asking them to support it. And when the bill got passed, uh, Nixon wouldn't and Kissinger wouldn't sign it. And uh, they uh, wouldn't enforce it because they were trying to do detente and it was in the way of detente and they wanted the amendment taken out and, uh, and it wouldn't be taken out. And so when Jerry Ford became president, he said, I'm signing this. So they went to sign it in the White House and Jerry Ford, President Ford, another Eagle Scout, 
said, where's Mark Talisman? Because he knew that he was the guy that got behind it and did this. And they said, well, his wife's given birth and he's at the hospital. He says, I'm not signing this till Mark's here. So send my car over to the hospital. After she gives birth and he feels comfortable, bring him back here. We'll call you all back. We'll sign it. And I'll send him back to the hospital. And that's how it happened. Oh, my gosh. I never heard that story. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. You you know, I just want to digress for half a second to tell you that during conferences in Washington, when I was a younger professional, we used to have late nights with Mark at 10, 11 o'clock. Mark Talisman led sessions. He would bring in like a junior member of Congress, Senator and House member to to speak to all the Federation professionals then. And we would go on for hours and they would answer every question that he posed to them. And it was was this amazing exchange. So. Bill, can you explain explain to the audience exactly what the bill was? Because everyone may not understand the significance of this bill. You can uh, whip up Wikipedia Jackson Vanek Amendment, but what it was is uh, it started out. Charlie Vanek was from Czechoslovakia, and it would been it had been invaded by Russia, and he had this disdain for Russians. He didn't trust them, and uh, he was reading in the New York Times or the Wall uh, or New York Post uh, about an article that there was the Israeli soccer team was in Russia and they had won a tournament, and the Russians were upset and they sent uh, thugs in and beat up the uh, Israeli team pretty bad. And just a little article. And he had read it and he got, I was, I was with him at his house. I was living with Charlie for three months. And I remember Charlie, he was pretty even keeled. He, he didn't get too worked up, man. He was worked up that day. And I, I said, what's, what's going on, Charlie? And he says, this can't happen. We got to do something about this. So he came in and Mark Talisman had read the same article and he was worked up. So those two went into Charlie's office and they came up with the idea that when the most favored nations bill was coming in, they were going to put a clause in there that said, if you don't allow people to immigrant, leave your country without restrictions, because the Russians said, hey, well, you can leave our country. Not a problem. $150,000 fee. Wow. And so they made it. So they were putting barriers up. And so they said, if you don't have this particular now, here's here's the interesting thing. When they put it in. They didn't realize Israel had a tax to leave. <laughs> so they had to go back to Israel, ask Israel to change it. And they did, of course. Um, but so so that's that's the background on it was taking away most favored nations from the Soviet Union, which means they wouldn't get trade deals and uh, a lot of other economic sanctions. This was before we have what you see today is economic sanctions. I think the bill was repealed by Obama and replaced with a much stronger bill. Uh, when Obama was there, but right. uh, that's that's the backstory. And and also the Jewish community members who lived in Russia, who wanted to emigrate, who wanted to leave, weren't allowed out. They were placed in jails for protesting and for you know, um, and and for um, trying to leave for either the United States or for Israel. I I used to as a kid go to Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza at the United Nations and protest for freedom for Soviet Jews. And in December December 7th, I think it was in 1987, there was a march on the mall in Washington and hundreds of thousands of people came um, to protest the fact that Russia wouldn't let Jews out of the former Soviet Union. Wow. 
Wow. You know, it, in the bill, Charlie put uh, obviously Jewish people, but Muslims and Christians because uh, any they were they were restricting people. Uh, and I think one point two million people were allowed to leave the country because of that bill. Absolutely. Some went to Israel. Some came here. In fact, here's a little side story. We we were on a podcast in California as a guest, Odell and I. You remember that when we were with the the fella? I forgot his name, but uh, we were telling him this story, and uh, he said, "What year was that?" And I told him, "He goes, my dad immigrated from Russia that year, probably because of Jackson Vanek bill." Wow. Wow. So, so so the no, it's interesting. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead, Marilyn. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you know, so the other side, the other piece of the story. So Bill called Mark when he got home and there was something about a table and chairs. Yes. Well, I got a hold of Mark and uh, Mark said, when are you coming up? And I told him probably in a week or two, he goes, well, when you come up, uh, I've got some chairs that were custom made by a, a fellow from Virginia and I'm downsizing. I'm moving out of places and I, these chairs are in storage. And I'd love for you to uh, buy them from me, or maybe I'll give them to you, you know, one of those things. And I said, Mark, I'm happy to buy them. I, he sent me pictures and stuff. And uh, so I, I go down there and uh, I drive to DC with my dog and uh, meet him and his wife, Jill, for lunch and near, uh, near their old townhouse. And he had these chairs in storage and I bought them all. And there's one here right behind me, his, his chair, actually, because it's got arms on it. That was his chair. The other ones don't have arms. And uh, he says, yeah, I really want you to have these and think about me every time you, you, you sit in them or use them. I said, Mark, that would be a great honor. So they're in our kitchen. We use them, uh, except for Mark's chair, which I now have in our studio. Uh, and, uh, and so we stayed in touch. And he, we were having lunch. It was one of those three-hour lunches that Mark could do and talk about all kinds of things. Well, one of the things we agreed is that when APAC came, he was going to come and take me and introduce me to his network. Uh, APAC, by the way, is American Israeli PAC. Public, Public Affairs Committee. It's okay. actually not a PAC. Public Affairs Committee. Okay. Thank you. And uh, it's they have thousands of people that show up at this convention and from all over the world, I think. And uh, so in Marx was a member and he knew a lot of people. So I said, Oh, that'd be great. And uh, I said, well, I'll tell you what the boy Scouts are doing their national meeting in DC in June uh, or may I'll introduce you to all the mucky mucks that I know, like Rex Tillerson, Dr. Robert Gates and those guys. And uh, he said, Oh, that'd be great. And in the back of my mind, they have, you know, he's an Eagle. There's another level of Eagle called distinguished Eagle. And I was going to talk to the Washington, D.C. consul and get him that. And we we're going to award it to him. And uh, so I get a call two weeks later from Jill, his wife. And she said, uh, I got some bad news. I said, what's that? She says, Mark passed away of a major heart attack in his garden yesterday. And uh, I would love for you to come up to his memorial service. It's going to be held at the Holocaust Museum. And I said, Jill, no problem. And Dory and I went up for that. And uh, that was an incredible experience to see uh, the things that Mark did in his life that people didn't know about. Uh, like the biggest one was uh, the Harry S. Truman. Now, Harry S. Truman was the first president to recognize Israel, right? So on the Harry S. Truman, the admiral that runs that aircraft carrier is the highest ranking Jewish naval officer in America. 
And he said, we don't have a Torah on our boat. So the people were, he was asking people, well, how do we get one? They said, call Mark Talisman. He goes, who's Mark Talisman? And they told him, he goes, so he calls Mark and Mark says, I've got two things that I think you should do. One is uh, we gave Harry Truman a Torah from Czechoslovakia and it's in his museum in, uh, in independence, in, independence. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. And, and, and so they arranged for a fighter jet or a jet to go pick it up and bring it on the aircraft carrier, but that's not the one they kept there. Uh, that was more of a, a kind of a demonstration. Mark said, I've got one from Czechoslovakia that, and he said, why is that so significant? And he said, because Hitler took all of the Jewish artifacts and put them in Czechoslovakia. And he was going to put a museum for the, the extinguished nation of Israel and show all these things. And that was one of the Torahs. And they got that's the Torah that's on the Harry S. Truman today. Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to let Jill know that we've talked about Mark on this. Uh, Jill, his wife, his widow, uh, because her and I have stayed in touch. In fact, I texted her not that long ago just to check in on her. Uh, shortly after Mark had got passed away, she got breast cancer and uh, she beat it. She beat it. Oh, wow. it yeah. Wow. So she, she was going through a tough stage, but she's, she's well now. And I'll make sure Jill, you're listening. We love Mark. We love you. And uh, we're so proud to be able to have him and you in our lives uh, to share these great stories. You know what? You all have me crying. Uh, <laughs> let me ask a question. As we look at our time, Marilyn and Bill, but Marilyn, importantly, we have something special getting ready to happen in Greensboro, and I believe it's called She Won't Take Off Her Boots. Yes. Thank you for asking that. So I'm actually, I am on the board of uh, this incredible um, organization. It's a nonprofit organization called Women of the Shoah Jewish Placemaking. Uh, Victoria Milstein is this amazing artist and sculptor, and she had a vision. She had once been on uh, something called the March of the Living, um, and she had seen a photograph of women in, um, in a place in Latvia called Lipaja. It was taken December 15th, 1941, and this photograph has five women, like a mother and her children, who were all wearing boots, but were sort of taken down to their undergarments. And, um, and so Victoria decided that what we need in Greensboro and sold so many of us on this idea is to share the story of these women and others like them who wouldn't take off their boots. And she calls her monument, which will be housed in downtown Greensboro's LaBauer Park in Carolyn's Garden. Um, and it will be a life-size monument. It actually will be bigger than life, like seven feet tall. It will, be, uh, it will be placed in the park with information about all of the, uh, the, the story and about women who perished in the Holocaust. That's what this is about. It's about the 6 million Jews and 5 million um, other individuals who were taken to their deaths because Odell, I think maybe this is what you're getting at, they were othered and they were 
they were made to feel like they were below human, subhuman. And, um, and this, this will be a place of study. It will be a place of meditation, of memory. And uh, I think the, the strongest teaching that will come out of it is the notion that never again should we as individuals allow this to happen to anyone. Well, if I, I want me and my family want to make a personal contribution and I'm sure our church will make a contribution. Are you all accepting contributions and how does that work? We absolutely are. You can send your donations to the Jewish Foundation of Greensboro, Jewish Foundation of Greensboro, earmarked to women of the Shoah, S-H-O-A-H, which means women of the Holocaust, and send it to 5509-C West Friendly Avenue, Greensboro, 27410. And we would greatly appreciate those donations. And the website, if they wanted to look, is uh, what? Okay, so the website is Women of the Shoah JP for Jewish Placemaking. So Women of the Shoah JP.org, O R G. Okay, great. Great. Well, now, Marilyn, we're near the end, and we always give our guests an opportunity to talk about how they find common ground. And uh, we'd like you to share that. Thank you. And, and also to say just how much I've appreciated spending, spending today with you. Um, and not only to make you cry, but maybe also to make you laugh. And uh, how do I find common ground? By looking you in the eye and saying, Hineni, here am I, here are you, let's create a relationship. And whether it's by traveling together, whether it's by sitting and having coffee together, uh, whether it is sharing food together in someone's house, whether it's taking a walk in the park, I am looking you straight in the eye, face to face, and saying to you, I know you, I know you, I know you, because I am seeing you one-to-one. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jeremy Powell, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 Chief Financial Officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events, Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.